My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds I keep covering up the sun. This episode of the Just a Mom podcast is the second in a two-part series with Major General Greg Martin. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go back and listen to it before you start this one. Thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. Now here's the rest of my conversation with Major General Greg Martin. Your story in terms of, you know, it taking time to get the medication cocktail figured out is not unusual, civilian or military. I've heard that so many times, you know, that it's a trial and error process. We try this medicine, see if it works. We try this one. And that's one of the things that I feel like is so difficult and frustrating about mental illness is that, you know, there's no, you can't get an x-ray and say, oh, this is broken. Here's what you need to do. And so it is a lot of trial and error. And as you've pointed out with the seven different professionals, it's a whole team person approach often. It's not just a medication. It's not just therapy. It's not just, you know, pastoral care or, you know, faith-based care or whatever, um, you know, that looks like. But the whole approach is was, it sounds like, incredibly important for your healing journey. Everything you just said is 100% accurate and correct. And uh, so, so hey, everybody, just remember what Susie said, because it was perfectly articulated. Um, and, you know, one of the things that happened with me was I really appreciated how professional they were and that they had taken this holistic, multidimensional approach to, you know, my brain and my healing. And it gave me, because I could tell how smart and caring and compassionate they were, it really elevated my confidence in them, you know, compared to previous, you know, situations in the military and then with the civilian provider, Mm -hmm. I didn't have that confidence. And with the VA people, I did. And you point out that this particular facility in Vermont was outstanding. Do you believe that that is the standard of psychiatric care in all VA hospitals or psychiatric institutions across the country? No, absolutely not. Um, That's probably, you know, one of the best, if not the best psychiatric departments in the entire VA system. Um, and it's relatively small, but they do fantastic work. Um, but the level is not that good uh, throughout the VA. I mean, it's just not. Um, and it's it's because these places are bigger. They have way more patients. You know, the VA is, they try their best, but it's a huge bureaucracy. And it can be frustrating to deal with. And so I was lucky. And the way I found out about it, was um, about White River Junction was I had a uh, friend, an Army battle buddy, 
who had a medical background. And so he had worked with people in the VA and different psychiatrists and so forth because he had been in mental health. And so he got a hold of one of his old colleagues who had been at the VA, that particular VA, and said, hey, you know, my friend Greg Martin really needs help. Um, what do you think? Where should he go? He lives in New Hampshire. And so this friend said, look, I work at Dartmouth Medical Center now, and they're very, very good. Mm -hmm. And Dartmouth was, you know, not that far from where I lived. Sure. And, you know, terrific college, med school, hospital. And then he said, but I, before I went to Dartmouth, I was at the White River Junction VA. He said, hands down, the, that VA is the best place I've ever, I've ever worked. Mm. And I would strongly recommend that he go to that VA. And so uh, I was able to get an appointment, went in, and you know the rest is history. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was exactly right. And the other thing, the VA that's good is that they, um, they have a, a deep understanding of military people, um, of you know combat trauma, and, and all that sort of thing. And so the fact that, you know, I was a military guy, um, a veteran, and, you know, that the onset had happened, you know, during combat in Iraq, which both the VA and the Department of the Army Medical Department, um, they both in, did independent investigations asking, you know, how did this two-star general, how did he get bipolar disorder? Like, what happened? Mm -hmm, like, this is so sure. unusual. And they both came to the separate independent conclusion that the onset was, you know, during combat in Iraq. Mm. Um, and so the VA has, I think, a better appreciation for all that veteran stuff mm. than a typical civilian place. Sure. Because they understand, like, I don't understand what it's like to be in combat. I can watch movies or TV shows and I can use my imagination, but what that actually feels like to be in those situations that you were in a lot, I don't know what that feels like. So to have people who do understand and get that would have to be monumentally helpful as opposed to just, you know, a regular old citizen like myself. Um, but I'm just a mom, so I'm not a doctor anyway. But uh, anyway, do you think, and I've read a little bit about what you have said about this, that if you had been diagnosed bipolar earlier, like say 2003, 2004, you would have lost your security clearance. Is that correct? Uh, probably because um, being diagnosed with bipolar disorder type one, which is what I have, mm -hmm. uh, that's a very serious mental illness. I mean, really serious. Um, and so there's danger that people will go back into mania. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, you know, it's questionable if that's the kind of person with that condition that you want handling weapons, handling classified information. So I would say in all likelihood, if I had been diagnosed, say 2003, that I probably would have, the, I would have undergone a medical evaluation review board, which looks at everything. They, it's not a rubber stamp that Oh, this guy has bipolar one. Let's, you know, take his clearance and not promote him and kick him out. It's not like that. They actually do a very individualized approach to your condition. And then they've got criteria of mental health and mental illness that they sort of rate you against to see. And but that review board more than likely, and I would say 
you know, 100%, if not, you know, really close to 100%, would have said, okay, thank you, Greg Martin. You gave our country great service, but we're separating you medically because of your brain illness. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, thank you very much for your service and uh, time, time to go. Sure. Um, and, and so I think that would have happened. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about, in general, mental illness in the military, because that answer has spawned on in me. Okay, so what about someone of a much lower rank who is, you know, maybe serving in combat under you? If a person like that would have displayed some of these symptoms and would have, you know, someone said, hey, I think that, you know, this guy's got or this woman has a, a mental illness and had had an evaluation and been diagnosed with bipolar one, would that person likely also, I mean, go through the same process that you were just talking about and likely be removed from combat as well? Uh, yes. Okay. So it, it's, it's interesting. And you know, let's just take bipolar disorder, for example. Um, the, the typical years, ages of onset are 18 to 25. Right. And that's just the time, that's the group that we have in the military. Sure. And so, and then remember, it's having the genetic predisposition plus the triggering event of trauma, stress, mm -hmm. and so forth. So what happens when we bring people into the military, we right away put them through all kinds of stress. Yes. The other thing is the, um, the type of people we want in the military are ones with energy, drive, enthusiasm. Yeah. And then that's what's rewarded in, in the military. And, and so I think there's probably a lot more bipolar disorder in the serving military than people are aware of. Mm. But it, one of the things that makes it so hard to diagnose is that until you get into a state of madness and insanity and just over-the-top behavior, what people are going to witness and they're going to observe is super motivated, driven, energetic soldier, sailor, airman, marine. And that's exactly what the military wants. Sure. So it, the other piece to this is I, I read a statistic that really surprised me, but it shouldn't, um, that 25% of veterans have bipolar disorder. 25%. Wow. And, the, and the, the, the percentage in the, the national and global population is 4%. Mm. So think about that from four wow. to 25. And if 25% of veterans have bipolar disorder, that must mean that yeah. somewhere around 25% of serving service members must have it too. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's a tricky, it's a tough problem. Um, but I would say that if a um, military service member does display, you know, over the top crazy behavior, oftentimes reflected in, you know, violent activities, driving their car really crazy, um, you know, doing things that break the rules and the law, that if they're, if it's determined that they're, you know, maybe have, have lost it mentally, um, then they, they can be command referred for a mental health evaluation. And then if people are diagnosed, you know, like like me, um, then they'll probably get put in front of a medical evaluation review board. Not for every condition, but for something like manic bipolar mm -hmm. behavior, yes. Okay, that was my next question. Well, 
understand manic bipolar, that type of thing, but depression, anxiety, which are rampant throughout all populations. So they've got to be rampant amongst military service members as well. Yes, for sure. Uh, I don't have a figure or a number, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, people ask, is the military improved at all? And I would say yes, because if you go back to pre 9-11 and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, we were still separating people for having PTSD. Mm. We don't do that anymore. Mm. There's thousands, tens of thousands of people serving with PTSD and they have the right treatment so they can continue to serve. Same thing with, you know, depression. You know, we used to separate people with depression. Um, but now if somebody has depression and they can have the right medication and then the same with anxiety uh, disorders. Um, so, yeah, those people can continue to serve because the military, the medical experts have made the determination that these people can serve honorably and safely without any problem if they have the proper treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great that the military has moved forward on those evaluations. That was my next question. You, you're just, you're knocking it out of the park here, anticipating questions is, yeah, that is encouraging to me to hear because it's an illness, just like another illness, any other illness. And if it's under, you know, medical supervision, it's well controlled. The person with the illness is pursuing the treatment and taking care of the treatment and pursuing his or her health, then yeah, they they can serve well and, and serve in health. And I think that that is a huge um, milestone that the military has gone from right there to there. So that, that's fantastic. There, I know, and I don't know the statistic, but I know the incidence of suicide amongst veterans is very high. What do you think the reason for that is? Well, every suicide is an individual case, and they're, and they're all different. But I would say some of the patterns that you can look at are, um, first of all, a lot of people who, do, who commit suicide or die by suicide, um, they, they do have some sort of um, mental health challenge. Not all. Uh, you know, many do not, uh, but, but many do. Um, the second big thing is um, many of them go into some form of depression be because there are things in their life, e either, either they have a clinical depression, which is a brain malfunction in a mental illness, either they have that condition or they've, they've sunk into you know, a mood of depression that, that maybe isn't as serious as clinical depression, but there's some kind of usually depression involved. Then the third thing is they typically have some kind of um, shock to their system, um, meaning, uh, you know, a, uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, breaks up with them or a loved one dies or they, you know, have a huge setback in their career, you know, don't get promoted or get fired or, 
you know, something really bad in that happens. Uh, another one is legal problems mm-hmm. where suddenly they're, they're on the hook for, um, you know, some criminal activity or some civil suit that's, that's a really big deal for the person. Mm-hmm. Another one is finances mm-hmm. that suddenly, you know, they've lost their wealth or their money or something to that effect. So all of those. So what, what that does then is that shock of an external um, condition, mm-hmm. you know, just rocks them. And then typically they, you know, they don't, they, they feel hopeless mm-hmm. that there's no way out of the situation. And then oftentimes with suicides, um, they drink to excess before the act mm-hmm. or they take, you know, illegal drugs and so the the combination or using alcohol and drugs, then it lowers their barrier to self preservation, yeah. and they they then you know t- will will do you know really bad things, and then finally is access to the method of killing. Yeah. I mean, and, and we know for an absolute fact that people who have access to firearms, which is the biggest killer, especially among men. So access, even if you could slow them down, like if there was a, if somebody were to take the guns away for a limited period of time, because stopping someone just before they do it is very, very effective. Yes. Many, many people who almost are going to, you know, kill themselves, but they, they don't, they never go there again. Yeah. That's, that's very typical. So I think though, that's kind of the pattern of, of a lot of the suicides in the military. And I want to pause for a second and reiterate that point that, and this is not any type of political statement. I don't do political statements on the Just a Mom podcast. This is a fact about firearms and people in the military know how to use firearms and, ha- and often have access to firearms more than the general population. And it is a fact, and I actually did an episode in the first season of the Just a Mom podcast with Dr. Sheila Sullivan of Children's Mercy Hospital here in Kansas City about a program they have where they are able to give gun safety locks out to anyone for free in the states of Kansas and Missouri, and hopefully that will continue to spread throughout the United States, but that sta- how important safe storage is in saving lives, because it's often, like you said, just a few minutes of taking away someone's means, them having a moment or you know half an hour to reflect and think through, do I really want to do this, that can save a life. So I appreciate that you brought that up, and, and that is a very... Um, you know, specific thing to the military, to military and both uh, current and um, um, veterans of military service. Yes, that's. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you recently wrote a book called "The Bipolar General: My Forever War with Mental Illness." What was your goal in writing your book? Uh, the big goal is to save lives and take my really, you know, brutal experience, um, an interesting experience because it's, you know, a lot of people find it paradoxical that for so many years, 
my bipolar brain gave me such an advantage and helped me move up. So I went through this experience and I don't want to keep it to myself. I want to share it with the world so that other people can learn, you know, through me and help stop the stigma, mm -hmm. which is the biggest barrier to people getting mental health um, treatment, uh, promote recovery, because there's a lot about my own recovery and what my techniques and strategy were for, for a good recovery, which, I mean, my recovery is strong and it's going well, but it never ends. Yep. And, and, then, and then thirdly, uh, save lives, because this knowledge, if, if it helps somebody go in and get mental health treatment, it could save their life mm -hmm. because, you know, if you if you have a mental illness and especially bipolar disorder, if you don't get help, you're basically what's what's probably going to happen is it's going to destroy your marriage, your family, your career, your finances. It's probably going to lead to homelessness. Mm -hmm. It's going to lead to addictions mm -hmm. and likely incarceration and then death. Mm -hmm. That's probably what will happen if people don't go get medical help. But on the other side of the coin, if you do get help, you can have a happy, healthy, purposeful life and live just great. Just like, you know, managing this chronic condition the way people manage diabetes yep. or other chronic illnesses. And so that's why I wanted to do it. Yep. And it's kind of an army thing because uh, or military thing, you know, because when you go do a really hard mission, like after I came back from a year in Iraq, I wrote up articles mm. about what we did, what we learned, how we did it. What, what can I pass on to others? And so that's kind of in my DNA. It's in my culture of, as a, you know, a soldier. Mm. And, um, and so I wanted to do the same thing with this brutal brain condition. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's why I did it. That's awesome. I so appreciate that you are using your experience, your personal experience, and your platform, because you do have a big platform. You've you know, served in one of the top um, positions in the military in our country. And so you have a platform and you're using that to help people. And I think that's incredible. And I would encourage everyone to get a copy of the book and I'll put a link in the show notes so that that is an easy thing to find. There it is. I like it. There's the photo of it. Bipolar general. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up, if it's okay. Um, you have talked about your mania and your depression. What, for someone who's never experienced either of those things, could you just go into a little detail of what it feels like? Yes. So bipolar disorder used to be called manic depressive illness, which is basically saying mania, which is up, up, up. And then it swings from there into depression, which is, you know, down, down, down. Mm -hmm. um, so what causes bipolar disorder is a, you know, there is a gene which scientists have not yet identified uh, yet clearly, but they're working on it. And so that gene, if you have it, if it gets activated or triggered by super stressful, traumatic 
events, that'll trigger it and you'll have a bipolar onset. So then what happens is with bipolar disorder, your, your brain essentially decides because the brain has an illness mm -hmm. and the brain decides, okay, I want to go into mania. Mm -hmm. And it starts producing and distributing excessive amounts of these powerful chemicals like dopamine, endorphins, and others. And so when it starts to do that, it drives the person up, up, up into mania. And then it decides at some point, okay, I've had enough mania. I'm going to go into depression. And it starts um, dialing back and it dials down way, way, way down. So these the same chemicals in the brain get depleted and then you fall into depression. So it's an actual biological thing inside the cells and the wiring of the brain. So what does it feel like? Yeah. Um, well, mania feels, for the most part, really good. Mm -hmm. um, now, some people experience a significant amount of agitation, anger, anxiety in their manic state. And I had that. But most of my mania was euphoric, happy, high energy, super enthusiasm, extreme extroversion, um, you know, grandiosity where I felt like I was the smartest person in the world, held the key to world peace. I had this thing called religiosity mm -hmm. where I mean, I was like beyond, you know, I, I was over the top in terms of religious activities and behaviors, um, reckless behaviors, lots of spending of, of scarce resources very, very fast making decisions impulsively, um, you know, talking on and on and on forever, um, you know, a never ending flow of new ideas, um, losing track of time, forgetting about meetings. Um, you know, those are some of the examples of what manic behavior or what it feels like to be manic. And I felt so good most of the time that if anybody had said, Hey, Martin, you know, you seem like you're, you know, you're losing it. You're, you know, you have some kind of mental illness. I would have said, no, I don't. I feel great. Look at me. Look at all my ideas. Look at how smart I am. And, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's very, I never during mania, no matter how out of control I was, I never for one second thought there's something wrong with me, mm. but depression, mm. oh my goodness, depression withdrawn, no energy, no interest, um, you know, uh, confused, um, uh, indecisive, can't make decisions over, you know, what, what clothes to put on. And when I would go into depression throughout that stretch of time that I described earlier, 03, 2003 to 2014, I, I said, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. I, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. And I told the doctors, but the, the doctors didn't do an investigation and get collateral information and realize that I'm normally up, 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 and now I'm down. That, boy, doesn't that sound like bipolar disorder? Right. Going from you know really high to really low. Um, but in, in depression, I, I, it was just awful. Mm. I, had, I, I was terrible. I could barely function. I could mm. barely do my job. Mm. Um, and of course, with me, it was combined with psychosis hallucinations and delusions, which were just, I told you the ones about, you know, Im Im imagining my death. Mm -hmm. um, I had others where, you know, I saw the Holy Spirit. Mm. I saw demons attack our house mm. and I repelled them with Bibles and crosses. Mm. Um, 
you know, I saw people who were opposing me, their faces morph into rats and snakes. And and that's really dangerous because I could have grabbed them and thrown them out the window. Mm -hmm. I had PTSD flashbacks, which were, you know, essentially hallucinations that I was back in Iraq. Mm. And so anyway, those are a few examples of uh, what bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. is like. Thank you for sharing that, because I think for the for those of us who haven't experienced that to know just a little, you know, peek behind the curtain of what it really feels like and signifies. And I'm sure for you, the depression where, you know, here you were making major decisions over national security on a hour by hour basis. And then you dropped so low into depression that you couldn't decide what to wear. That is such a stark contrast. And I think a good illustration of of what you experienced. Yeah. And I I mean, uh, Susie, the way you just explained it is so clear that um, that, you know, really demonstrates the physical, biological nature of these illnesses. I mean, to to go from way up here to way down here, that's nothing to do with, um, you know, willpower, character you know, not trying hard enough. That is, yes. that is physically going on inside the brain. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. It's not a character flaw. It's not something that your parents did incorrectly, <laughs> which is something I get asked a lot. And with our youngest son who has struggled with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, well, you know, what did you guys do wrong? No one asks you that if your child has cancer. Right. So I appreciate exactly. you pointing that out. These are diseases of the brain. And I think what you are doing to bring more attention and light to the diseases of the brain, particularly bipolar one disorder from which you have lived for several years is fantastic. And you are helping to shatter that stigma that has been around way too long regarding mental illness. So thank you for that. And are there any other questions that I have not asked you or anything that you want to make sure and point out before we wrap this up? Um, I talked about the two paths, either get help and get better or don't get help and probably mm-hmm. go to destruction. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, it, I think you did a good job of pointing out, like with bipolar disorder, it's typically 10 to 11 years to go from onset to a proper diagnosis. And so it's hard. It's Ah. like, it took me um, 11 years. Um, So it's hard. And it also takes sometimes 10 or more years to get the right uh, medication cocktail. And uh, for me, I was fortunately, because from um, diagnosis to treatment, it it took two years to get me on lithium. Mm -hmm. So that's relatively short. Um, But I would say that for people who are... um, you know, wrestling with this and struggling to recover and to get well, it's a hard journey. Mm. It's very, it's very, very difficult, but don't feel hopeless. Mm. Like I felt hopeless when I was in bipolar hell. Mm. I never thought I was going to get better Mm. ever, but I did. And, and so I'm like a testament of hope. And I think God works and instills hope through other people 
So other people are really the vessel of giving hope and inspiration to people who need it. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's a that's a huge mm. lesson to remember. And then, then I guess the final thing is knowledge is really power. Yep. I mean, I've studied about bipolar disorder like crazy. Mm-hmm. I've talked to you know loads of psychiatrists and scientists. I go to conferences. I read. Um, and I mean, learning about it and getting that knowledge is really important. Yeah. And I'm, you know, not tooting my own horn, but this book is loaded with knowledge, insight, lessons learned um, that, and don't take it from me, take it from, I, I've got dozens of psychiatrists who teach at medical schools who are saying it's the best book they've mm-hmm. ever read on mental illness or bipolar disorder. And they're using it already to teach up and coming doctors in med school. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's and, cool. and I'm getting invited to be keynote speaker at these big psychiatric bipolar conferences. Yeah. And again, it's, and that's by the, the world's experts. So, I mean, I would just invite you, you know, check out the book, um, I've mailed tons of them to libraries. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, if, if you don't have if you don't have the, the money to, mm-hmm. to buy a book, you know, maybe you can get one in the library and save your save your, your money. That's great. The Bipolar General. Again, I will link it in the show notes. And that's so generous, generous of you to share your book with libraries so that people have access to it. I really appreciate that because access can be such an issue because of finances. Right. So thank you. You are a brilliant person, obviously. I read your your accolades and your education um, at the very beginning of the episode, and I appreciate you sharing your brilliance with the rest of us in your book um, and on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. And Major General Greg Martin, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to have this conversation with you, and I have no doubt that it's going to help people. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure, Susie. It's an honor. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for being such an incredible host with your great show that I I know is making a huge positive difference for, you know, just untold numbers of people. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.